HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. My name is Greg Benson. Uh, Damon Bolte and Souther Teague are taking a much-deserved week off to take care of some important stuff and some even more important R&R. So today, without further ado, I am going to be joined in the studio by two amazing folks that I met in my travels last week. Um, As I think I was trying not to be too happy about online. Uh, I was in Oaxaca for about two weeks uh, celebrating two doses of Moderna and a stimulus check, which I used to go out and stimulate somebody else's economy. And, you know, I was, of course, because I'm me, drinking a lot of mezcal, uh, trying a lot of different stuff, drinking a lot of pulque, some of it good, some of it not so good. But in my travels, I wound up in a uh, <laughs> a very well-appointed cellar in this sort of off-the-beaten-path uh, facility with these two guys who were like, oh, we're trying some really, really cool stuff with Mezcal, and we're also making gin and rum and whiskey and vodka. And I was just sitting in, in this beautiful, cool cave, drinking these delicious spirits, eating some of the best tamales that I've ever had, and thinking to myself, God, I got to get these guys on the show when I get back. So without further ado, uh, I would like to introduce Carlos Moreno and Choman Alcorta from Coach El Mezcal. Guys, so good to be talking with you again so soon. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. How are you? Hey, Greg. Thank you so much for your invitation. We are fine here in Oaxaca. Happy to be with you. Yes. I'm happy that you were with us here. I was. I was. I. I would be happier if I was also in Oaxaca right now too. Even though, <laughs> no, no disrespect to Brooklyn, I love it. I'm happy to be back for some of it, but it's just not quite as sunny as Oaxaca was. Um, 
so guys, I I was really enamored with the stuff that you were doing. I think it's it's cool and it's innovative and I think it's very savvy for where the market is, not just in terms of agave spirits, but in terms of all of the spirits that you're making and the fact that people are starting to be willing to think outside the box in terms of where whiskey comes from, where rum comes from, where gin comes from. But, you know, first let's uh let's let's give the people what they want. Let's talk about some agave spirits first. Um, how did this venture come to pass? Because I know, Carlos, you've been in this industry for what? You're a fifth generation uh, in the agave spirits industry. Talk to us a little bit about what it was like to be born into this and how you're putting your own stamp on it. Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, it has been my family involved in mezcal for different generations, but I always like to share with the people that as many uh, families in communities <clears throat> in Mexico, they move to the city trying to find a better life. No, a better in, in comings. Uh, my family moved also to the city uh, and I was born in Oaxaca City. Uh, 12 years ago, I... I was with my mom in, in the community and she started to explain me what her family was doing. And then I fell in love with Mezcal when I was 20, around 22 years old. And since that moment, I started to create the idea to bring this uh, family history, you know, of our, ha of our family to uh, bring it back to the light. And that's how 12 years ago, I started with my mom. And with Pedro Hernandez in San Baltasar, we start again, and, and we uh, re re recover our history, and we bring it as Coche Mezcal. That's amazing, man. And and one thing that I really love because we have a we've had folks on here who are you know have been in um, you know the bourbon business for ages. The the their families go back generations in bourbon, Scotch, rum, and and one thing that I think is really interesting is talking to a lot of people who grew up in this. And the thread that comes through that I really like is that I have yet to talk to anyone who's like, I'm just going to do it exactly the way my parents did it because it worked for them. Like everyone sort of comes in and says, okay, I love this stuff. It's in my blood. It's in my family. I, I can't not do this, but I want to find new and exciting ways to to really bring this spirit whatever it happens to be in your case mezcal into the 21st century so can you sort of talk a little bit about you know what it was like to 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 grow up in this and to learn this trade from your mom and to sort of see how you might be able to put a very uniquely carlos moreno spin on it yeah i mean uh, uh, at the beginning it was you know very easy it's amazing but in my family the women's it has been the ones that are involved in mezcal more than the men which is not very usual you know it's more usual that it's the men but in my family has been since my grand grandmother the woman's involved in mezcal uh, we are from a community called el parian which is in the mixteca which is the region in oaxaca and to grow in, in in mezcal, you know, I like to share with the people. It's part of our identities or history. 
you know, when you are a baby in Oaxaca, even if your family doesn't produce mezcal, you will be involved and you will be around mezcal. And the reason is because in Oaxaca, when somebody uh, have a baby, the tradition is to have a mezcal at the moment that the baby has arrived. And when you die, it's also the mezcal who, who, who is with you, you know, at, the, at that point, at that moment. The, mm -hmm. the family is also drinking mezcal. So when you're from Oaxaca, <clears throat> you're born in mezcal and you die next to mezcal. That's... I have yet to find an occasion where mezcal does not make it better. <laughs> Births, yeah. christenings, funerals, birthdays. Tuesdays, yes. whatever. It's, it's and obviously all... when you are our age, you keep living with mezcal next to you <laughs> for enjoy. You know that was maybe the most romantic way to say it. You know when you are born and when you die. But I mean, in the middle there is a huge time which you know we 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 enjoy. You know you, we enjoy the the happiness and the magic that mezcal can provide you. Absolutely. And it's, and it really is, you know, one thing that I, that I enjoyed being down there was, was seeing how much a part of everyday life it, it is and how, you know, you don't have to go to a specialty shop to find specialty mezcal. It's, it's literally everywhere. Um, and it's something that is clearly taken seriously because it's part of the cultural fabric. And I, and I did want to ask you one question. I wanted to come back to this because this is interesting and I didn't know this. You said that um, you, you know, Mezcal, as most spirits, unfortunately, you know, the default assumption is that it's the business of men. But you said you learned from your mother. And did I also catch that right, that she learned the business from her mother too? Yes. And from my yeah, grand-grandmother. Yeah. Wow. That's it's it's woman. That's why I said it's not very usual. But in my family, has been women involved in mezcal. I mean, that's that, that's very interesting to me because you know we were talking about how people come in if they're multi generational and they already have this sort of eye towards thinking outside the box. But really, that it just by bucking that sort of masculine default, your your family is already kind of ahead of the game in terms of outside the box thinking in when it comes to making mezcal. Did you feel like that sort of gave you a, a different perspective on the spirit and the market as you were sort of growing up and figuring out what you wanted your path to be in the spirit? Absolutely. I think that also, you know, like uh, females, my, my mom, my grandma always make this comparison with mezcal, with, with food. You know, everybody enjoys food. But uh, homemade food is so much better than, you know, other places you can just get food. Um, when you have this comparison, what you, what I was teach is that um, you, you must do it with passion. You know, mm -hmm. I think the ingredient that it sounds very common to say this, you know, but when you cook at home, you always have passion, you have love, you are doing something for someone that you love, you know, for yourself. And I think that's part of the, of the key of our products is that we always have been producing mezcal for us and we share it with the people. That's something that we love to, to know that we do it that way. 
We produce mezcal for us, and it's a pleasure today to share with the people what we do. I, I love that, and I love that. I think because I love working in bars, and there is something really nice about getting the the, the pleasure and the privilege to say to other people, "Come on into my house. I've got something that I'm making that I'm really proud of, and I want to share it with you." Like, there's just yeah. something so wonderful about that, that I, I don't think anyone who comes into any part of this industry doesn't love that feeling. Yes. And do you know something also that I think that is uh, very interesting for me in, in mezcal industry? Obviously, it has been ML uh, business. Mm -hmm. When I have this background from from women, from very strong women, it has been great when they have to give it to me, you know, like this power to full say and do whatever I think that is correct and, you know, preserve, you know, our traditions. And also, I I, I love to share with the people that uh, right now you will see and you will hear a lot of uh, projects saying that there are women involved. I, I can tell you, you know, for the last 10 years, I have saw that the women in mezcal industry is the one that make this production strong. Men is who has the strength, but the ones that runs the business is the woman. And I'm happy for that, you know? The women are amazing, like running business. And, and, and also something that it has been a challenge for me is that, uh, you know, it's not very usual to, to could run a business in Mexico, in Oaxaca, being gay, it's something, Amazing. It has been for me something very difficult at the beginning, you know, for the respect that you need to have in the fields, in the production, with a man, with a macho, you know, it has been very funny, but I, I've been enjoying this journey a lot. And now I can say that I see and I love my culture and I love the people in Oaxaca because in our, in our, in our blood, in our culture is that we accept anyone, you know, we don't criticize. We help one to each other. And that's something that also Mezcal has teach me in my life. It's not just, you know, uh, it's not just a product. Mezcal has been for many generations in, in, in Oaxaca, a way of living, you know, it's family. That's maybe something that we always been telling everyone. And you have been with us, you know, the way that we work and the way that we collaborate with more than 50 families, we are family, you know, we are 50 families that we have become one. Absolutely, man. And, and just the, the spirit of welcomingness that you, I mean, you, you, I was a complete stranger to you like three weeks ago, but on the recommendation of a, a friend of a friend, you brought me into your, um, your, your, your house and you gave me some amazing mezcal and gin and whiskey and rum and vodka yes. and <laughs> some tamales that were made by the mom that we were just talking yes. about. I don't know if she listens to the show, but if you are Carlos's mom, I just want to say thank you so much. When I said that they were the best tamales I've ever had, that wasn't BS. They were really, really, really good. <laughs> so thank you. But you know, and again, getting back to what we were talking about with hospitality, it's very hard to have someone invite you into their home and then 
sit there and judge them on preconceived notions, you know? I mean, we all, we're human beings. We shouldn't, but we do have preconceived notions about, you know, people who are in certain industries. But, you know, you are, you know, you're, you're, you come from several generations of mezcal distillers. Uh, a lot of them are women. That's atypical. You're very open about being out. And that is, you know, not particularly, as you said, typical as well. But you're so open and hospitable. And that's really kind of in the DNA of the brand that I think, like you said, if you make good juice, that certainly doesn't hurt. But if you invite people to come in and say, hey, your family here, try this. I want to share this with you. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's hard for people to, you know, really stick to their preconceived notions of someone after they do that. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know why also this idea has becoming stronger on my mind, in my life, in the way that we want to make our business? We also, as, as you know, and maybe you saw with us here in Oaxaca, we have been producing for different uh, brands, you know, like a private label. We have uh, done more than maybe 30 different brands. Many people doesn't know and, you know, and the reason that we could do this is because we are many families together. So we can have different expressions and different uh, taste of, of mezcal. You know, even if it's espadín, it's going to be different because it's produced in a different region. And, and this idea also becomes strong because uh, we got the pleasure in a moment to, and I say at the moment, maybe not anymore, <laughs> to be producing for another project that has become too big, you know, and it's not something that we can keep handle, and and it's not in the same line or, or in the same. They, they don't see mezcal as the way that we see it, you know, mm. and, and also, you know, like. Uh, Diageo be, being involved in mezcal, it has teaches how uh, different it's, it's a different way of thinking, and obviously that's part of the business in mezcal and how it's running right now, and it has becoming bigger in the in the market. But we need to keep our own way, and we need to to have our own history. You know, I think that we, I think. Of us that we are talking, we we enjoy uh, spirits, and we understand what it means a uh, family-owned product. Uh, uh, what's the name like? Uh, farm farm produce, you know, it's it's amazing, and I think that's something that we uh, enjoy a lot. And 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 this idea has becoming stronger now, seeing how also big companies are involved in mezcal, but. Maybe they start with producers and local producers, and then they start to build big distillers, which all of us, we always knew that this will be an issue maybe for our industry. And I think people should know that, yes, it's happening. That's why I think it's so important, you know, for all the beautiful brands that I know, and, and, and I know many good brands, you know, from, from Oaxaca, from owned by families needs to, we need to become together and, and expose ourselves a little bit more before, you know, lose our, 
or, or, or identity and not because that's something that we want. It's because also big business is coming to, to, to work with Mezcal, which is great because it generates jobs and everything, but they leave behind the history, the tradition, and also the people, which is that. Hmm. So what's the, I mean, what is the, the, the solution to that look like, you know, I mean, because it's the, I, I, <clears throat> I feel you on sort of being in a bind because you want this interest in this spirit that's very near and dear to your heart, but you want to make sure that if it's going to go out in the world and be enjoyed and grow and the story is going to continue, you want to make sure that it's the right story. You want to make sure that it's, that it's your story, that it's the story that it's always been. So how is the, you know, I, I don't expect you to solve this problem because this is a problem that's being faced by mm -hmm. lots of different spirits I, industries across the world, but sort of what's your philosophy on how to go about that best? I think like this, this, this is spots no? like like you that to invite us to to talk to you and with, you know, you, the people that follow you. I think that that's the that, that's what we need. We we need to people here. Why? Because obviously, you know, people is gonna choose whatever they wanna drink. But if we can provide them uh, more information, and they have the possibility to look a little bit better into what they are gonna drink. I think that's the solution. The solution is if we are able, you know, small brands to provide the information to the consumer and they can choose better. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, more more information is never, as long as it's correct information, more information is never a bad thing. Uh, and speaking of information, we're at about the halfway point here. So we're going to uh, pause and hear a little bit from our sponsors. And then when we come back, I want to uh, bring in our second guest who has been very, very patient and also has a very interesting Always. story to tell. Uh, but that <laughs> is in a minute when the Speakeasy comes back on Heritage Radio Network. So stay tuned. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less sad saturated fat and it's more sustainable just egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions most importantly it's delicious for our listeners who operate a food service establishment you can get a sample for free head to ju.st slash hrn that's ju.st slash hrn just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble. Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. 
Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appetit says, it's so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st slash hrn. So as we've been talking about today with Carlos and Shulman, the bar world is constantly evolving. You can be in this business for five generations, but that doesn't mean you can rest on your laurels. You have to grow, you have to change, you have to evolve. And that's something that somewhat involuntarily, a lot of us have been doing over this past year. But you know what? As painful a year as it's been, and I don't want to downplay that at all, the chance that when we come out of this, there's going to be some good stuff is, I think, very, very high. You know, we're having conversations we need to have about equity behind the bar, about making sure that everyone who comes into work makes a living wage and doesn't feel like their income is tied to arbitrary things that guests decide out of the blue. And I think that's really good. Selfishly, one of the things that I've really enjoyed that's come out of this is to go cocktails. I think it's really cool that I can walk up to my favorite bar, order one of my favorite drinks and say, hey, I'd like this to go. It's great as a consumer, but if you're behind the bar, it poses some extra challenges. You know, how is this drink gonna show in a half hour? What's the ice gonna do? What's the garnish gonna do? Is it still going to be as delicious as when I slid it across the bar to this person a few minutes ago? Fortunately for us, Diageo Bar Academy has us covered. With their vast array of resources, they equip bartenders, servers, managers, and hospitality professionals with the insights, stories, and tools to be better, consistently raising the bar on industry standards. So tune into their articles and masterclasses, and you'll learn how to build a successful delivery and takeaway program in a digital world. So whether you're a bartender or a bar owner, or a podcaster, Diageo Bar Academy has you covered with easy to access resources to help you plan, batch, deliver, and even market your to-go offerings digitally. And the best part, it's free. I like stuff that's free. This is free. It doesn't get better than that. I also really just kind of enjoy how Diageo Bar Academy reaches a really diverse audience with backgrounds and skill levels of all ranges. So whether you're a seasoned expert or someone who is really, really curious and wants to dip their toe into the world of bartending, there's something in there for you. Diageo Bar Academy is going to provide you with the skills, knowledge, and techniques that you need to improve your personal and your professional life. So go to diageobaracademy.com to learn more. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. And if you see me out and about this summer and I've got a drink in my hand, you'll know where I learned how to make it extra tasty. Cheers, everybody. And we are back. You are listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, today, I'm joined by Carlos Moreno and Chilman. Uh, from Coach El Mezcal. And uh, you might not have noticed that we were joined by Choman earlier because we had a long conversation with Carlos. But I really, really want to hear uh, from your side of the business as well because we talked a lot in the first half of the show about you know innovation and doing things differently and kind of uh, blazing your own path, especially in a family business. And Choman, you've been a, a big part of this. You came to this with a background in uh, in cognac, is that correct? Yeah, this is great, yeah. Um, I'm from France, 
Uh, I, I used to live in, in Bordeaux. So first I was introduced by this world by uh, mobile wine. But, you know, I, I was always fascinated by spirits. So uh, I used to work in cognac and my last job I worked for a cooperage. And uh, I, was, I was very lucky because I was able to travel with this job and to work with many different uh, spirits around the world. So this was, was amazing not to share experience with a master blender from Scotland, but also from uh, rum industry like Guatemala, Jamaica, or also from tequila and mezcal. So it, it, was, it was amazing to learn with them. And, and after a few years, you know, I have the, the feeling that I can do something by myself. And so this is why uh, with Carlos, we decided to, to be partner and to do some things in, in Oaxaca. So how, how did that meeting come about and sort of what was the, because, you know, I, I, I love a good crossover episode, but I, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily put together that someone who, who's has this background in, you know, who's from Bordeaux, who has a background in, in cooperages in France, this, this seems like a rather atypical career move. So I want to know how this partnership came up in the first place and then sort of what made you look at this and say, yes, this is, this is going to be the next chapter of my life. This is where I can really put my stamp on something and make something really unique. Yeah, I think the first big thing is uh, I, I want to try to, to set some bowers to, to Carlos for, for uh, AG Mezcal. And he told me, oh, no, you're crazy. <laughs> I will never do that. So, <laughs> this was like maybe five or six years ago. So when we start now. And uh, this is, I think Carlos can speak about that also, no? because uh, aging mezcal is now really on the mind of people in Oaxaca. No? It's, it's, it's something yeah. uh, new, no? Oh, no? Yes. At the beginning, when we were talking about aging mezcal, I was like, you know, what is that shit? <laughs> I was like, come on, come on, give us a chance. And it, it was, uh, it, it was funny because you know, when in, in Oaxaca, maybe the reason that we don't have age uh, mezcal is because we don't have the knowledge about aging, and we don't know everything behind a barrel. And when you start to learn, and that's something that I learned from Chomin, and then we were also traveling in France and and learning, I I, I realized that. It could be work really good with mezcal. After that, we make some samples, which I can uh, I can tell you. It's uh, you know like a white ex white wine mm -hmm. uh, barrel. We age for uh, for three months tobala uh, mezcal. Yes, so and I, for the so we have and we are making with Carlos is. Uh, there is other aged mezcal, no, but most of them is only espadín. That is ninety percent of the or the mezcal market, and in ex bourbon bowers. So why bourbon bowers? Because it's so easy to find and uh, it's, it's very close to to Mexico, no? So it's, it's the option the, the easier. So what we want to do with Carlos and what we are doing is a different way to think. So for example, what he was speaking about the Tobala, and I remember this day, I was with Carlos in the warehouse and we are testing this Tobala, but we didn't know we want to age this, this batch, no? But we try it and we say, wow, it remembers some flavors or like a flower and like kind of a Chardonnay. And we say, wow, why not we don't pronounce these notes 
and we try to age in uh, ex uh, white wine bowers. So what we try to do, we do it, and uh, we really appreciate this batch. No, and we have so many people from different uh, country comes and they try. At the beginning, they say, "Ah, oh, no, mezcal, age mezcal, I don't like." As they try this, and it's so different. So is what we want to do is something more complex than only aged mezcal because the norm says two months for reposado and one year for añejo. We want to do special batch and thinking about which kind of agave and which kind of barrels will be the best combination. You know, and this for me is a lot of fun and uh, and very important. And I, I just want to point out for our listener, there's a reason why you don't see a lot of aged Tobala on the market. Would you would you guys care to, to say for our listeners how long this particular agave needs to grow before you can harvest it? Okay, so for Tobala, it's uh, at least 10 years for yeah, Tobala. 10 and 12 years. Uh-huh, yes. 10, 12 years. So this is, I think, the first reason. And the other reason is, of course, it's a lot of money, you know, because... We, you know, we are working like four months or more, you know, depends of the, of what we want uh, to age um, the mezcal. So when it's a lot of investment on time, on money, and, uh, and I think this is why people don't do it. Or they, I don't know, they don't think about do it because, I don't know, it's something new, I think here. Yeah, and also it's, yeah, the, the, the what we were talking that there is, uh, in Oaxaca, we, you know, we, we, we don't know how to age. You know, it, it's just, this is something new. And as Shamin said, there is people aging, but with maybe on quality barrels. So now that we are doing with very high uh, quality barrels, and we are doing exactly the same as the philosophy of the company, we have become uh, partners with a family that has been for many generations producing barrels in, in France, mm-hmm. you know, Navarre is the name of the, of the company. And we are uh, doing great things. They are doing a special barrels for mezcal, something that not many people is doing. Yeah. And also something you say, Greg, is very interesting. You know, you say the Tobala, it's at least 10 or 12 years old to, to, to be ready to, to harvest. So the idea also when we age mezcal, we, it will be a shame if we are waiting 10 or 12 years old, put a new oak bowers and only have some wood. So the idea is always when you are uh, tasting uh, aged mezcal, you can identify which kind of agave is. No, it's no, it'll be very, the, the Tobasiche will be different at the Tobala, even age. And this is very important for us to keep all the flavors uh, we have on the plant, but also to... Um, to, to bring different flavors from the hood. So, Carlos, how did you require much convincing when Showman brought you this idea? Because when I was when I was at your your place and you gave me a glass of something and you're like, here, this is Tobola that's been aged in barrels from France. My reaction was, you're a crazy person. And I was getting this for free. Like, this wasn't hey, even I- my mezcal. Like, did... did, did Showman, did you kind of have to twist his arm a little bit or sort of offer any kind of proof of concept when you're like, hey, this thing that took you over a decade to make, I want to put it in a barrel and see what happens. No, he, uh, Carlos is, of course, a priest of mezcal, but he, have, he is also very open mind and is always interesting to try and to test new things. So he, 
it was fun at the beginning. No, he tell me you are crazy and everything, but you know, <laughs> it was it was always very curious and want to test and try different things. So it was no not that hard to convince him to to eat some yeah. tobala, tobasiche, <laughs> and jabali, uh, eat some bowls. Yeah, I, I think that we we shouldn't be, uh, you know, like in Oaxaca we are gonna be first of mezcal, obviously. You know, that's how we have grown. That's our background. But I think we shouldn't be afraid to, to do new things. Maybe we don't know that we like it because we haven't tried it, you know? So when we start to age different agaves, it has been great. And, and when people told me, why are you doing this? I was saying, okay, sometimes a wild agave and mezcal sometimes is a, a wild animal. Sometimes we need to tame the animal. <laughs> and maybe the barrel, it helps a little bit. <laughs> and it has, it has happened with some batches. You know, there are uh, some, sometimes uh, astringent, it's uh, hard, it's, it's powerful, you know, the, the, the presence of the alcohol. We have put it inside a barrel and we don't need to leave it for a year, two years. Sometimes we have it for two months and yeah. as I said, you know, the, we tame the animal. Yeah, it's some. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's one of the amazing things about making these spirits is that they're you know it's what you get is dependent. It's it's an organic product. It's based on plants and yeast, and and in a in a lot of ways, it is kind of like taming uh, for a force of nature that's outside of our control. Uh, I really love that analogy. And speaking of uh, wild agaves, tell me a little bit about this palenque that you all are visiting, uh, building in the foothills of the mountains around Oaxaca. Cause I got the chance to go there and watch a tapata and it was absolutely lovely. But as I understand it, fairly atypical for the sort of distilling and growing operation that you're trying to establish in, in one spot. Talk to me a little bit about that. So, yeah. So the idea we have with Carlos is to have a place not that far from Oaxaca City, but because you know, you know it's harder to travel on the different uh, community around Oaxaca with COVID and everything. Yeah. So you take a long time, you know. Mm -hmm. You have been here to go to one community to other. It's uh, it's very far. Sometimes I, I mean, just for give you an example, you know, we have a distillery that is seven hours from Oaxaca. So if you want to go the same day, you would take. 14 hours. That's like take a trip to Europe. Yeah. You know, the same day. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. Sometimes we are in the car many hours because we need to go to one distillery to, to other. People always say that, that we have a superpower that we can fall asleep in the car. And that's the, re the reason is because sometimes we need to spend a lot of time moving to one distillery to the other. So there's a lot of uh, different ways how mezcal can be produced. And also we have a lot of micro climbs in Oaxaca, which we want to show to the people, you know, and it's difficult to bring people to all these regions. So in this place that we are building, we are going to have a, a, a cellar. We have a distillery, which produce artisanal mezcal. We have a ancestral mezcal distillery in two different ways that is produced in Oaxaca. One that is fermented in clay pots, and distilling clay pot, and the other, which is fermenting um, uh, uh, fermentation wood bath, and distilling copper, and in clay also, 
and we are building a distillery for a new project. A, no, a new project. Mm -hmm. Yes, about the whiskey, gin, uh, vodka. Yes, we we can show the the people or nursery with agaves, which I think is something that the most something that we are very um, happy to have been doing is we have been recover uh, different type of agaves, wild agaves. But we do it in a different way. We don't do it like in vitro, which many people is doing. We do it by seed. And it's the way that we want to rescue, you know, the, the, the strength of the plant in their natural um, DNA, DA is mm -hmm. called in English, right? Again. Well, the, the thing that impressed me when I was there is all the different varieties that you had, but your sort of strategy of... You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna baby these plants. We're gonna put them out there. We're gonna give them. Uh, we're gonna set them up for success, to use the parlance of the bar world. But then, you know, we're gonna let the ones that survive survive, and we're gonna let the sort of natural terroir of this place determine which plants uh, grow to maturity and eventually become our mezcal. And I think that's a, a pretty cool approach. Yeah, it's it's pretty Darwin, you know, like a natural selection. <laughs> Absolutely. So only only very fit, very muscular agave plants going into Coach Mescal, uh, and uh, let's well let's let's move away from agave for a little bit because you also touched on something that I want to talk about. You mentioned that in this uh, spirits dream house that you're building on the side of a very scenic mountain, you're also working on projects including uh, whiskey and rum and gin. And I really want to talk about the mole old Tom. I really, really want to talk about the mole old Tom, but give us the, the bird's eye view first of what you're doing and how you're trying to put a very uniquely Oaxacan spin on a lot of these spirits before we zoom in. Okay, but this is the reason I am in, in Oaxaca and why we are partnered now with Carlos. No? Uh, he was speaking uh, with me a long time ago. He had an idea to make some different spirit in Oaxaca. In Oaxaca, we have uh, corn, we have wheat, we have uh, apple, mango, cane, we have everything. No? So we can do a lot of different spirits, and this is the idea we will do it. And so this is how we start now, the, the idea and why uh, I'm here with Carlos uh, in Oaxaca. So, yeah, so we make different spirits. So the first is uh, whiskey. So we made a whiskey base of uh, native corn from Oaxaca. So kind of bourbon, but of course it's not a bourbon because it's from uh, Mexico, but with the same idea. No? So it's 95% uh, uh, corn and only 5% of wheat. And uh, so we are producing this in Oaxaca. Yeah, uh, we are very lucky in Oaxaca to have different clients, you know, like we can, you can drive from Oaxaca City where the people have an idea. You, you just drive one hour and a half and you are going to be in the desert. If you drive to the south, you are going to be in a tropical way. You go into the mountains and you will have apples, beers. And this is amazing in Oaxaca because, you know, we are... Uh, full of mountains, we have microclimes. We are able to have sugarcane. We have different type of corn. You know, we have different type of terroir, which it has uh, make us, you know, uh, make these products. And and also something that I was being honest, I was kind of uh, 
I don't know if sad math or whatever with some people that has <laughs> came to visit to Mezcal, you know, and, and, and obviously for people that hasn't uh, understand why Mezcal is produced that way. Uh, and I can say that, you know, some uh, Japanese friends, and they are friends, real friends, you know, they came and they were like, wow, that's amazing what you do, but, you know, it doesn't seem that it's very clean. I think this is, should be illegal in Japan. Or, you know, they were like, <laughs> you know, giving, giving us his feedback. And I was like, okay, thank you. But, you know, this, this and another person that came from, from, from France, uh, they also told me, like, you know, they, they were not very involved in Mezcal. And they were like, uh, yeah, it remembers me a little bit like how I see uh, rum was made, you know, in, in an island. And I was, yes, you're right. So I, I was pushed, you know, we, we were pushed by, let us show you that we can produce something that you respect and you recognize and you know how to drink with the same simple distiller that we have. Because we are lucky to have all the raw material here. That's how we start. It was like a challenge. Mm -hmm. And when we saw the reaction of these friends and more people that, you know, they, 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 they thought that we didn't understood the maybe technical way how to produce alcohol or, or you know, or the chemical part or whatever, we, we were pushed by that. And now we can say that, you know, even with Polish people, they respect or vodka. Russian people, they like and they respect vodka and they don't believe that there is a Oaxacanian vodka you know or a, or a good rum in, in France there is a lot of people with a good knowledge in, in rum and they like it they respect it and now we are exporting also you know uh, the rum and, and the whiskey it has been also a possibility for us because as bourbon you know it's just made almost all of it with uh Jello corn, which is sweeter and you can produce a little bit more. In Mexico, we have black corn, blue corn, jello corn, purple corn, mm -hmm. green corn. Red corn. So we have been doing batches and also we can show the people that uh, terroir in corn exists. And the different type of corn give you different uh, taste. You know, we have some um, uh, whiskeys that it tastes like popcorn. You know, like this kind of uh, of taste. Uh, there is a fungus that it grows in the in the corn, which is uh, it's a, it's a Mexican uh, food. Gets um, with lacoche. With lacoche, thank you. <laughs> with lacoche, <laughs> it's good that the French knows about the with lacoche. I was I, I was trying to remember the name too. I even ate some, and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's that it's that kind of corn fungus yeah. that was like a little funky, kind of like a really rubbery mushroom. Exactly. It, this, yeah, in a humidity. It has. This will be very trendy in the next year on for the, yes. for the chef. Yes. And this black agave, it gives us, uh, I'm sorry, this black corn gives us, a, as you can see, I have agave in my mind all the time, but <laughs> the corn, this black corn has given us this identity of, uh, this, this taste of humidity as a fungus. Yeah, absolutely. And so those are things we, uh -huh, we are bringing also to, to Oaxaca is, is the bowers because Today there is no oak, well, there is oak, but not to, to make bowers in Oaxaca. So it's the only thing we are importing is uh, the bowers. So what we want to do is the same philosophy we have with mezcal and those other spirits. So on the way we are producing is uh, kind of, uh, we say organic. We don't use any uh, chemical or any uh, commercial yeast. 
and uh, also we want to work with people that looks at us. So this is why we make collaboration, as you say before, with uh, a Cooper Raging Cognac, uh, so they are working for uh, five generation now, and we are working very close collaboration with them to make different bowels. Like for the whiskey, we are working with different toasting of French oak and American oak uh, to make the blend and to have a, a unique product. So our whiskey, we will launch in a few months now, I think maybe two months. It will be a blend of French, American oak, and we also have uh, like uh, uh, fortified wine, Mexican fortified wine from Queretaro. We are using their bowels. It's kind of uh, sherry of uh, Jerez. Uh, and so this is also part of the blend. So this is also what we can bring. Uh, it's the importance also of the grow material, of the corn, but also the bowels to make the perfect blend and to have a product uh, different than what we can find now in the market. That's amazing. And and I, I just want to return to something you said. Did you say that your Japanese friends said to you when they tried your stuff, this is so good, it should probably be illegal? Because that's the single yeah. nicest compliment I think I've ever heard anyone <laughs> receive. Exactly. exactly. And, and you know, more, more people that I know from different countries, which maybe they are not involved as us in the in the industry, you know, the beverage industry, they were like, oh, you know, it tastes really good, but I think this is illegal, the way that you produce it. I, I don't <laughs> think the government's going to, you know, be, I don't think you're allowed to, to send this to Japan. Then I showed them that we are selling in Japan and now they are, they are consumers, but, you know, <laughs> we, I, I convinced them, giving them whiskey. When they, they know whiskey and they try our whiskey, they realize that, okay, now I know that you know how to produce something that I can drink. It's funny, but it was the way that it works for us in that moment. Well, and that's also so interesting because, I mean, the, the history of, of Japanese whiskey is very much, you know, steeped in, in scotch. And obviously, you know, there is, uh, they over the past century, it has become very much its own distinct thing. But one of the things that I always salute about you know japanese whiskey is what it took the scots half a millennium to do with whiskey the japanese were able to do in about 90 years and start winning gold medals of like you know best single malt in the world and i, I think that's truly mm -hmm. impressive but i think what you all are doing is very impressive from a different angle which is you know we have we live in this place where there is an embarrassment of riches there is just so much fruit that's literally just falling off the trees all the time and there's yes. wheat and corn and sugar and apples and mangoes and why wouldn't we take all of that and and do something that no one else on the planet could do with that i think that's a really cool approach yeah this is very important as you say we are making a mexican whiskey so of course we don't want to do the same that Scotch whiskey or bourbon or Japanese whiskey. It's now, it will be very different because- Yeah, it's a new proposal. Yeah, it's a own identity and it will be, yeah, I think it will be sad to do the same process, to find the same taste as Scotch whiskey. It's not the idea, of course. Yes, we have a great friend, Ivan Saldana, who, who owns, um, a solo whiskey. We were in Berlin, we were trying he was trading with us his uh, Abasolo whiskey, and we gave him our, 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 our whiskey. Pietro. And he said, yeah, Abasolo is more close trying to, to, to be approached of this 
already exist consumer of whiskey. Yours is a little bit uh, different, which is different proposal and it's great. So I think that we are in the correct uh, way. Absolutely. And I, I, Yvonne was actually on our show about a year ago and I got to try some Abasolo because of that. And, you know, I was already, I had an idea in my head of what to expect when I tried your whiskey and you're right. It's a completely different product and it's really cool that, you know, you're, you're not just, you know, going after what people expect from whiskey. You're kind of trying to, to challenge those perceptions. And I think, I don't know, I can't wait to see what y'all uh, come up with next. Um, if the listener wanted to stay in touch and see what you all were doing next, is there uh, some good social media handles that y'all want to plug so that people can uh, keep up with what you're doing? Yes. Right now we are uh, sharing everything in Coach El Mezcal, which is the or, uh, social media for, for, for Mezcal, for Coach. And there is where we are uh, showing the people or new projects and from that uh, place, from that uh Social media, they will could get the, the new spots to, to to watch what we are doing. But there, they can check what we are doing. Yeah, that, that is new 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 product. So we are on that, and so soon we have like a social media for the whiskey, for the gin, for the rum, for everything. But we want to do step by step. Now. So we are yes. more focused and on the production. Also, the website mm-hmm. right now it has uh, inside the the Cuchel mezcal. It's uh, our products. And you can get into the whiskey, the vodka, the rum, and it has their own link. That's amazing. Well, I would highly encourage everybody to go and check it out. And I'll be posting some photos. I took a little bit of a social media vacation as well, but I got lots of photos from the absolutely beautiful Palenque that you all invited me to visit. So I'll be throwing those up on my Instagram too, which is 100 Proof Greg. That's 100 with numbers, not with letters. And it's just, it's it's been such a pleasure to have you guys on here. Uh, I, I love uh, talking about this stuff and hearing what you all are doing and challenging perceptions. And I, I really can't wait to see what you all come up with next. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much, Greg. It was a, a really pleasure to but first to meet you in Oaxaca and to show you what we are doing. And I really appreciate you. You oh. like the way we, we are yeah. we are thinking. And I think we share a lot of things. So this is, is very nice and, and happy to, to be here with Carlos also speaker with you. I know there's a lot of things to, to say because we are producing rum, whiskey, uh, vodka. So it can take six hours, but we, maybe we can speak about the different products later and, and to have some focus on one now because yeah, it's a lot to say, but this is why it's fun. Well, I'm already scheming ways to get back to Oaxaca. So we'll have to, we'll have to do a live show with y'all at some point and maybe a, a live taste testing. I think, uh, you know, I think, oh, I think yeah. that's well, a sacrifice I can make for our listeners. Yeah. Even production. We, we got to wait in for you. Don't worry. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for keeping my place at the table. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, thank always. Uh, Well, that's it for this week's Speakeasy. Tune in to Heritage Radio Network for dozens of other great shows just like this. Go to heritageradionetwork.org. And if you feel like donating, click on the beating heart at the top of the webpage. That's it for us today. See you next week. And until then, cheers, everybody. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove. It's gonna get you some
The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.